to talk about United. The United States of America. And the reason I want to talk uh, just a couple minutes about United and Unity is because as we are watching the news and we're seeing what is being uh, thrown at us, it's as though we're a nation that's divided. Almost, I've heard some people say, civil war. So we're ready to fight. And I look and I think, what happened? What happened? What do you think? This is new. God tells us there is nothing new under the sun. You know why? Man has a sinful nature. And the sinful nature causes man to be carnal, which brings strife, which brings division, according to First Corinthians chapter 3. If there's no wrath and carnal church, that's why you're talking and, and, and spreading this stuff. And it has to cause division. Division is obviously the opposite of unity. So God and his character is behind unity. Satan is about division. Man's sinful nature is about division. God is about unifying. Matter of fact, the concept of atonement literally is God taking you off, you and I, as one with Him. That's what the atonement is all about, making us one with Him through forgiveness. God is trying to bring us into a relationship with Him that shows His character. God is one. We're going to go to Ephesians in chapter number 4. Just read a, several verses here. Once you have found that Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse number 3. And we'll just stand out of respect to God's holy word. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 3. The first verse is telling us what we are to do based on what God has already done. Following. Endeavoring to keep or guard. What we guard? The unity of the spirit. In other words, what God has already created, we are to endeavor to keep that going. He says it is in the bond of peace versus battle, fight, strife. Then he tells us there is one body. That's us, the body of Christ. There is one spirit, even as you were called in one hope that we talked about last year of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God, and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Father, as we look at your word for a couple of moments, I pray that you'll bless it. That what I, you have put in my heart to share, that it will help us as churches, families, people to live in this revelation. Holy Spirit, do the job of teaching each one of us uniquely. Because we all need to look at this important subject. And we thank you for Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I wanted to ask that I leaned over my Bible. I showed my wife my Bible when you had said that you had given many in office a Bible. I picked this one up. I don't know if it's this one or not, but I, would, I wanted to recommend this one this morning. It's called the American Patriot Bible. Are you familiar with it? You probably don't get that one out, though, probably. Maybe you do, but it's not that one. 
Um, if you do not have this link, I want you to, I would encourage you to get it. Um, in this Bible, uh, it has many quotes by our forefathers that have talked about God, and even some outside of our nation that have come in to observe who we are as a country. Matter of fact, I was reading one who was, uh, who was French, and he said, the first thing that stuck out to me is how religious you are as a country. That was in the 1800s. It's interesting to see what God has talked about in His Word, about not only Himself, about, but also about His creation. This text uh, goes along to with the Old Testament also. The great cry from God to Israel is this in Deuteronomy 6.4. Here, or listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, Jehovah. I was listening to a rabbi. I found it online, and the introduction is why I listened to it. It was a rabbi's view of Christianity. Here's this one. And immediately he began to bash us because we are involved with idolatry in their mind. Because they believe that we worship three gods. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That those are three different gods that we worship. And they go right back to this verse and say, Jehovah, the self-existing one, is one. And yet we understand as we look at each other that we are not just a physical body that is here. We also have a mind that we cannot see. We also have a spirit inside of us that is invisible. As Jesus said, God is spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. We also understand the Father is the mind, if you will. The decision, the will, and the, the Spirit is, of course, the Holy Spirit. And to make up the body would be Jesus Christ Himself. That's why it's powerful when you see the, the subject of creation that God says that He, he, he said in the beginning, God, and that's the plurality word of God. Interesting that that is used. And then it says the Spirit of God is moving. And then it says, God said by word, let there be light. And we couple that with the Gospels, and we understand what Jesus was saying, that He is the eternal Word of God by which God made all matter, and without Jesus Christ, the eternal Word, nothing on this earth would, or the universe would ever been made without Him. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's interesting in Ecclesiastes how he talks about that concept of a, a cord. That a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's three cords, and yet when woven together, they become one and become stronger. So God talking to himself in Genesis 1.26 is like, hey, let us make man in our image. You and I reflect the very character of God in who we are, how we're made, and then immediately he says, you and I created above all of the other creation is to have dominion. We're to govern. 
We're to govern everything from the fish in the sea that we see those whales in a couple weeks. Go to Alaska. And, and so, you can see, and the birds, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything God made, because we are to govern it. We're supposed to be over top of that, because we're like God. We're made to be over top of and to administer. And yet, God says, we are one. We're a unique being, as our God certainly, certainly is. That's why there's one Lord, there's one God, one Father of all. And it's powerful when you look at the Gospel of John, which teaches the deity of Jesus Christ, and all the great I am, which is a reflection on the over God, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection of life, I am the, the good shepherd, and the list goes on. And, and he's trying to say, I and the Father, we are one. Matter of fact, in one place he, he said, before Abraham was, I am. And they wanted to kill him for it. So we have the deity of the Father, the deity of Jesus Christ, the deity of the Holy Spirit. And they work in, in, in absolute unity, and yet with different functionalities. As the Father sent the Son to die on the cross to redeem man to himself, the Son came dying on the cross, did the work for us, rose again, and the Spirit's job is to convict men of their sin because they haven't yet believed on Jesus Christ. So all three are part of creation. All three are part of us of salvation. We can't get saved without Him. And we see the unity of God. It is God's nature. When you look at the study of, of Numbers, the number that shows the greatest with unity is the number one. It's undivided. Number two, the concept of division. Opposites. Full. Wives. A wise man versus a foolish man. The most goes on with Proverbs and Jesus' teaching about the two sons. One did the will of the Father. The other did constant teaching and contrast. Then you get in number three. It's all about the resurrection. Then you get in number seven, there's a number of perfection. You get into the number ten, it's about the completion of the Ten Commandments. You get into number twelve, and it's about the twelve tribes of Israel, always reflecting on them, the list goes on. So these numbers are, are shown constantly through the Word of God to help us to realize there's a pattern here, folks. And the pattern of God is that He is always united in His character to be such. So we have to have faith in who God actually is. I'd like to give you a quote. This is from one of my favorites. Ronald Reagan. In August 1984, Ronald Reagan spoke to a prayer breakfast in Dallas, Texas, and stated, We establish no religion in this country, nor will we ever. We command no worship. We mandate no belief. But we poison our society when we remove its theological under, uh, underpinnings. We court corruption when we leave it bereft of belief. All are free to believe or not to believe. All are free to practice a faith or not. 
but those who believe must be free to speak of and act on the belief to apply moral teaching to public questions. I submit to you that the tolerant society is open to and encouraging of all religion, and this does not weaken us, it strengthens us, and that's what I believe. Without God, there is no virtue, because there is no prompting of the conscience. Without God, we're mired in the material, that flat world that tells us only what the senses perceive. Without God, there is a coercion of all of the society, and without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. If we ever forget that we are one nation under God, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Faith in God is to unite us. And it is because we have a common document that helps us and gives us order and therefore gives us unity. Order and unity comes as a result of a common document that guides a nation's steps. We call it our Constitution. This Constitution seems to be like no other document being under fire. Oh, that's not what they meant. Trying to twist what was very clear English. And yet, we realize what the intent of those who not only wrote and signed, but many gave their lives in and for so that we would have this, has created for us as a nation like no other a unity. That's why they would say, united. Even though we had divisions, we finally united as one. By the way, Christians, we also have a document that God has given us. And this document that we have also gives us a unity. When we get in trouble, when we get divisions in Christianity, it is because we went away from from our constitution, from our our agreement that God has given with us. It is when we start to get in the way through the one of my teachers a couple years ago in college. Um, it's, you know, of course, we were involved with all the fundamental churches and all the colleges at that time period, you know, all those were my teachers at the Global Institute, and, and then and George would go around as the director of the school, and he was saying, and he would teach and things like that, and really intelligent, really, really intelligent, you know, he had his devotions to read, you know, and anyway, so the guy was a brainiac, so he would go around, he was an analyzer, and, and he knew, he would go to this church, 
and he sees three four people, and then the next year he goes over to this church and he remembers he just talked to them last year over here, and now they're over here because they got mad over here because of the carpet color or whatever it was. So now they're over here, and so now he's redressing some of them, and then he goes to the next one, and then he see what was going on there, and so those people from there and now there are all over here now because they stopped the bus ministry. And then they stopped that one, and he went to this, and he stopped, and he said, after uh, several years of doing this, he said, I've talked to the pastors, I've talked to people. He said, you know what, I have observed this one thing. Not one division in any of those churches was based on the Bible. Every one of them was divided over man-made ministries. And nothing to do with God. The blood of Christ, the resurrection, the, the second coming, or the rapture of the church, or any other thing. It was all about, well, we're going to go to hell if we don't have a bus ministry here. God mandates this. I mean, who was back then? They felt they were uh, neo evangelicals, was the term back then. And that meant lost people because they left the bus ministry. You think I'm kidding? I am not kidding. But was man made, and will fight over it, and they'll condemn a brother over whether they have a bust or not. I was, I was the bad guy at our church because I mean, it is the assistant pastor. The job of the assistant pastor is to do everything that the senior pastor doesn't want to do. And so one, one little big guy came and stepped a week out of there, and he goes, So, what do you feel your job description is? Okay, I'll probably be condemned whenever I sit here. So I thought, well, my job is to do whatever needs to be done. That's what I came up with. And he goes, I want to really do this. And I'm like, and so, I mean, after the program guys, this is nice, you know. So when I got there, John says, hey, Carl, I need you to do the bus ministry. And I'm like, yay! This is so awesome because everybody loves the bus ministry. So I did an 11 about one year evaluation of the bus ministry by the Baptist Church that time. So I'm going to call that. So I did all the work. I started to do the numbers of how many tens of thousands of dollars we put out in gasoline, insurance, buses, and bus maintenance. 11 years. We put tens and tens of thousands of dollars out. And we were down to like one day and maybe one bus that was broke down. And there was one because I remember selling it. And so, so, um, so I did the evaluation. And after 11 years, guess how many people we had come, how many families we came, had come to Bible Baptist as a result of the bus ministry? One. One day. And they were driving out. You follow me? And I said, no, we got to shut this down. You know, it might work in Chicago, it might work in other places, you know, and et cetera, but it ain't working here. Can you imagine what we could have done? And I would say $100,000 that we put out. I said, can you imagine what we could have done on the mission field with all of that money? Supporting pastors, supporting nationals, to be able to get them out there preaching the gospel there. I said, I think we would be better to put the money into missions rather than do it here. And we shut it down, and all the workers said, because they were doing it under obligation and duty, and they were burning out. We had so many people going off into sin and morality. Oh, just nuts. 
and I said, and you know what? It unified a church. There are things that we come up with that sometimes cause it's because of man. But Franklin Roosevelt said this, we cannot read the history of our rise and development as a nation without reckoning with the place the Bible has occupied in shaping the advancement of the Republic. Where we have been the truest and most consistent in obeying its precepts, we have attained the greatest measure of contentment and prosperity. I had a Russian friend here years ago, probably 17, 18 years ago now. He was put in jail uh, and basically used as a guinea pig uh, while there for his faith. And so he would inject him. Let's see what happens here. We throw this drug in here. Or this is so, you know, so he was a guinea pig. So they finally got him out and said, long story short, he's here. He's been in church for a while. And uh, we're, we're over at Parsons at the time. So the years were here. And uh, we had him there, and he talked for two hours on his, his story. And after it was all done, we sat and listened patiently to all that he had to share. And he looked at me, and he asked me this question. Why is America so blessed? That's a really good question. Why are we so blessed? And I thought to myself, well, I didn't get an answer, but I'm slowing down with my answer because I want you to be thinking, what would you say? Why are we so blessed? He said, ah, it's not that blessed. You need to get out of the country for a little while. You need to visit some places. Go to Nicaragua right now. Okay? Venezuela. There's a list of countries that I could like to go there and, and see what, uh, pardon this, but, but godless leadership will create. When there's no constitution that dictates order, and see what it looks like. Oh, yeah, we got our hiccups. We got issues. But we are an incredibly blessed nation to a point and it's like, I remember President Trump saying this in his campaign, you're going to get tired of winning. Do you remember that one? Do you remember that one? I'm like, what does that even look like? You're going to get tired of winning. You know, it's like, what does that mean? What does that look like? I think I'm starting to sense it. What is it? How many jobs, how many people do we need to move to Elkhart because we have so many jobs to fill? We don't have enough people to fill jobs. When I moved here, 20 years ago, this place was popping. You know, all these millionaires making up the RV industry and everything. And I'm thinking, you know, if nothing is better than that, you know, basically, if you didn't work, it was because you were lazy or you couldn't pass a drug test. You know what I'm saying? And like, if you're not working, you're lazy, you know, or you're, you know, doing something wrong, drugs or something. So, and now it's just like, come, we, I, we get letters. We, the church, get letters from businesses now asking us if there's anybody here that needs a job. I posted out there. It can't get people to work. 
president so big job, man, this is awesome. We're worried, but we're getting a little tired because there's so much going on around here that you can't even get into a restaurant. Everybody has money now. Now, the only thing that's good about 909 through 11 is people, you know, they're going to save money somewhere and they're not going to go out to eat. So those of us who are going to go out to eat, like, yeah, right in the restaurant. It's an awesome service. Can I help you? Is there anything else you possibly could need? You know, they're just taking care of you because they need a check. Make America great. Those who oppose the document bring disorder and bring chaos. Those who hate the Constitution bring nothing but disorder and bring chaos. Peter Marshall, the chaplain of the U.S. Senate in 1947 to 49, okay, so that would be poor Carl. If you did call for Americans to honor God, this is what he said. The choice before us is pregnant. Christ or chaos. Conviction or compromise. Discipline or disintegration. I am rather tired of hearing about our rights and privileges as American citizens. This was in the 40s. This was in the 40s. Can I repeat that? This was in the 40s. Some of y'all were teens in the 20s at that time here. Hang on, you. You are bringing chaos and you weren't Christ-centered at that time. Nothing new under the sun, is there? Well, think it works. This is the end of the ages, you know, and the rapture has to happen yesterday. Well, that was what he predicted a couple weeks ago. It didn't happen. Anytime God predicts it's going to happen, no, it's not going to happen that day because no man knows. So, I am rather tired of hearing about our rights and our privileges of American citizens. The time has come, it is now, when we ought to hear about the duties and responsibilities of our citizenship. America's future depends upon her accepting and demonstrating God's government. Love it. When we go away from what is giving us structure, it is always going to bring chaos into the life of Israel. How many times? Okay, maybe that was the deal with the fight of war. No, well, you know, trouble. Chaos. And no longer order. So this is what happens, sadly, to Christians. Christians also, not just a government, righteous exalts a nation, you know, blessed is the nation, God is the Lord, we ought to know all those verses, we want to put God first, and, and God in our nation, we, we want all that, and it brings order, and it's historically seen that, but sadly, what happens so many times in Christians' lives, when they go away from the order, the document of order, which is God's word, it also brings the exact same thing in their lives and in their homes, and it is chaos. This week, I have in the three families that I'm trying to encourage because of the chaos that is in their home. And sometimes you just kind of act like, don't make a face here, Carl. Don't let them show. Don't 
show what you're really feeling, Carl. So we try to just listen intelligently to talk. And one of the twenty years that I've been talking to this family, and they do the exact same thing, expecting a different result. And it is nothing but confusion between the parents and the kids and the grandkids, and it's nothing but but greed, don't care, don't love, and it's fighting and squabbling, and then, then some will say, well, this is normal for us. And they actually think it's okay. I'm happy with fun for them. I mean, I don't order. Don't order. Do what the Bible says. And watch that happen. You say, well, I don't know what the Bible says. We have Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday morning, Wednesday night, D1. If you need more than that, let me know. You're going to be in the Word. You're going to hear concepts. You're going to see concepts of faith, trust. Learn how to control the tongue. Learn how to walk in the Spirit. This is all connected with your daily walk with God that is going to be manifest in your home. I don't know when I'm not walking with God. She knows when I'm not walking in the Spirit. She knows it. She's always walking in the Spirit, so she's always right, right? Just walk through God's way. And it's going to bring an order into your life. I did one couple, they fought for five years. They don't live around here anymore. And they would fight, and they would fight, and I get called in, and we're calling in, you know, we, you know, they fight. You know, he's, he's the one that sat in the office and said, oh, it's just one piece confusing, he was sleeping with her. And I didn't do that, and I wasn't convinced I did, and, you know, we're fighting over that one now. And I said, well, did you? Oh, no, I didn't do anything. You know, we just went out along the river and had a picnic together. He was just like, oh, so I didn't get any wrong. I'm like, well, don't you think your wife would be alone? What if your wife decided to go with another married man and have a have a picnic you know, along the river? You'd be okay with that? Absolutely not. Anyways, so much later, you got to go off the store and you're calling me and talking to me. I said, okay, what's wrong with you? She wanted to be pregnant. To the wife? No, that woman. I said, I thought you told me I did not have sex with that woman. That was a bad interpretation. But I've done my best. And so I said, Well, I thought you didn't have sex with her. He goes, I said, She's lying, dear Peter. He lied to me. He said, I'm so sorry. So he goes on me. It's God and your wife, man. You are going to get wrapped. You are in big trouble, mister. So, so we worked through that. And eventually, he said, you know, my wife and I were spending time getting ready to call you. So I call you, call Lori, and then we would go to the phone and we wouldn't pick it up. And I said, well, why wouldn't you call me? He goes, because I knew what you were going to say. Well, what was I going to say? Question number one, are you reading your Bible? Any answer would have No. Are you praying together? The answer would have been, No. 
Are you communicating properly? Are you using sarcasm? Are you actually sitting down as adults and having an intelligent conversation and listening to each other? The answer is no. So he said, what we started to do is go through those three points and it always fixed the problem. And we didn't need you anymore. I do think it. God's word fixes the correct chaos. He takes the sin out of your life and makes you one with God. And man can never come up with this stuff. You can call this a man made. Man is too dumb. I see that. We think it's not our nature. This is what God says. My, my nature is one. And I want you to be one with me. And I want you to be one amongst yourselves. And when you do that, you're reflecting my character. And that's why when we see Christians in chaos with each other, unforgiving spirits, you're going against the nature of God. And when you go to then your neighbor or you go to somebody else and say, Jesus says, and they're thinking, yeah, I wish he saved you. Because you're not believable. And remember, as I'm saying that to you, I'm saying that to myself too. I'll excuse you. This is what we fight with. Division. The God is about oneness. And that's what he wants to create. He knows it. Lord bless you, Father. Use it for your glory. And your honor, we love you. And we cannot imagine our lives, whether it's going well now or not, if we couldn't imagine our lives without you. You are our source of strength. You are the one who enables us to do anything. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. We depend on you for our salvation. We depend upon you, as we say, for your grace, help, and strength. But, Lord, I don't know who in this room needed to hear this part or something that I shared earlier, but we had some thoughts about you and your character. And I may be talking the people today that their homes are about ready to split, kids are ready to leave, and there's nothing but fighting and squabbling in a home. And they have words today, Lord, to go back to the Constitution, to go back to the covenant that you have made with man, and to agree with it and support it. And Lord, I pray they will. Lord, I do not know the hearts of you do. If there's some here that do not know Jesus as the Savior, that you save them today. This is your work, Lord. I can't do it. But you can say, so Lord, use your word, the word we share about Jesus Christ, and may they trust and depend on you for their salvation, that they will agree with you that you have done the work for them. So as I close, my friends, I'll make it as easy as I possibly can. You say, Carl, yeah, this whole thing of Christianity is so new to me. And I'm uh, hearing about Jesus, and I'm hearing about him dying on the cross, and I can be forgiven and be one with God as a result of this. I want that. You can have that now. You say, how will be done? By believing. Believing Jesus died and rose again for you, for your sin. He wants to correct the sin problem that you have. He did it for me. And if you, by faith, would call on him right now, and you mean it from your heart, and you say this to God, he's listening. This is what he's waiting to hear from you. Something like this. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner in your sight. And I believe you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sin. 
I believe he rose again three days later. I believe he did that for me. So I'm now calling you. I agree with you, God, that he did this work for me so that I could be forgiven and I could be at one with you. Save me. Save me from my sin and give me the eternal life that you promised. That one day, if I die, I will be in your presence. Or if you return in the air, I will be with you in your presence. Thank you for saving me. If you pray something like that, please let me know after the service. Really want to rejoice with you about this. 